This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is Baldy's Breakdowns, the podcast, a radio.com sports original. Welcome to the latest edition of Baldy's Breakdowns, post-Super Bowl edition. I am Jason Lockenfora at Jason Lockenfora on Twitter. I have the honor to be joined by my main man, Brian Baldinger, at Baldy NFL. We appreciate you guys for tuning in. Please rate, review, subscribe, interact with us on Twitter. Uh, let us know what you think of the podcast. Review us on Spotify, um, radio.com app, wherever you listen. Um, and we are incredibly excited to chat about the last game of the NFL season, a remarkable season in many respects, um, and a game, Baldy, that ultimately uh, I-, I think we'd have to say didn't maybe quite live up to its billing. You and I are football junkies. We know the historical significance of it. But in the second half, by the middle of the third quarter, it was pretty clear um, that one team was dominating and another team was counting down until their season expired. Well, it was. It was a disappointing game. It really was because I, nobody predicted that. I mean, I, I thought Tampa I, – I predicted that Tampa would win, but nothing the way that they did. Right. And to see, you know, because of the history of Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, that even when they were down 21 to 6, we didn't think that was insurmountable sure. at all. We kept sure. waiting for the comeback and we kept waiting. And then, uh, you know, it never, it just never materialized. And I think that's the part is that, wow, they, they could never, I mean, from the second play on, that offense was out of sorts and out of sync. And we had just never seen, we, we had seen them. We had talked about this all year, Jason. Yes. That they looked much like a very kind of bored team. Yes. For much of the year, but they were able to turn it on and turn it off like when they needed to. And when they needed to answer the bell, uh, they always did. And so, you know, the history in the playoffs for, you know, the two previous years that, you know, no lead was insurmountable. We kept waiting. And, and you just got to the point where you go, Wow, they they really they really can't function. No. And it was look, the offensive line was a part of it, but it was more much much more than the offensive line because there's ways to protect your offensive line, and they seemed unwilling to even try some of those methods. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I just thought, but I don't want to make it all seem like it was just the Chiefs' undoing because Todd Bowles, man, he he had a brilliant game plan and he did a lot with what he had, and he has a lot to work with. But he did a lot from the front to some, you know, a little bit of blitzing to the zone looks to taking away Tyree Kill. I mean, they did a lot. And then they ultimately took the ball away like they had in every postseason game. And that 
just continued. And they played great football. They defended the ball in the air well. Uh, they kept their hands off the chief receivers. Uh, Levante, David, I mean, they all, I mean, pick a guy. They all played well. And so and we haven't even gotten to the offense yet that ran the ball really, really well. And, you know, Brady didn't make any mistakes. And uh, anybody that thought that, you know, Gronk was just on his last legs realizes he's far from it. And he is still a incredible threat when you get to the red zone. And uh, he continues to be that guy. And we will break this game down in every way, shape, or form. Matchups, individual players, position groups, the X's and O's, and Baldy's hinted at a lot of that. We also um, will go around the league a little bit later in the podcast. We will um, pay our respects to Marty Schottenheimer, who mm-hmm. who passed away after a long battle with, with Alzheimer's. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit about some of these quarterback uh, rumblings going on with Carson Wentz and Russell Wilson. Um, but first, we will dissect this game and why don't we start at the coaching level baldy you you hinted at some of it i had the pleasure of of watching the game from uh the stadium mm-hmm. most of it sitting between nate burleson and and bill cower and listening to these guys and talking to these guys and and certain things kept kind of coming up yeah what adjustments are the chiefs going to make here why is it still just five man protections where is the horizontal running game with screens and pitches for Tyree Kill. Where are the quick hitters and bubble screens for Hill? If they're taking away vertical, why not the emphasis on horizontal? Why not the emphasis on quick hitters design little pop passes from a Holmes rather than these dropbacks where he's running for 500 yards literally behind the line of scrimmage in that game? They did not look like playing-wise or coaching-wise that they were up to the task, Baldy. Well, you know, they, they weren't good on third downs, you know. And so when you're not good on third downs, you're just not on the field, you know, very long. So, you know, you're three for 13 on third downs. You can't get to some of those plays that you described. They they had some, you know, they had some screen set up. Jason Pierre-Paul batted the ball down. Uh, you know, the, the defensive line read the screens quickly. Uh, they did get a couple of, like, the horizontal, you know, perimeter game type plays. But really, the, the zone defense that they played and the speed that Tampa plays with, they shut those down. McCole Hardman was awful in the game, but he did have one to the outside. Tyreek Hill had a couple, and they defended it. You know, they just closed quickly on it. So they kind of got shut down. But really, they, 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 like you know, this, the second play of the game is an RPO. I mean, their offense is an RPO offense. And Patrick Mahomes pulls the ball, and he's ready to throw it, and neither receiver is looking for the ball. Right. And here comes Shaq Barrett unblocked. And, you know, Mahomes had, you know, about eight or ten different Houdini acts just escaping pressure throughout the game. Most of the time, he made unbelievable throws. Yes. Uh, The Chiefs dropped, I counted, five drops, two hit him right in the face mask in the end zone. And so he he did his Mahomes magic. I don't think he was nearly as bad is what his stats say. His receivers didn't help him. Travis Kelsey dropping a third and eight. Huge, huge play in the game down the sideline. Huge play in the game. I mean, those kind of plays, you know, you're just giving the ball back to the Bucs, and they they can continue to, you know, run the ball and take their time and play with the lead and do all the things that they did and really control all the tempo. And then, you know, the the thing that – the one series that just – it just – I still scratch my head at it, to be honest with you, Jason. I, I don't understand it was, you know, that last series 
by Tampa at the end of the first half. And, you know, they get the ball and they hand off to Fournette. And, you know, they get the ball with 55 seconds to go. And it's clear they're content to run it out. Yes. And Andy Reid calls a timeout. Okay. Well, you know, a first down, um, you know, takes all that away. But it, how much time are you really going to get? And it's only the 14 to 6 game. Right. And those two timeouts they used, the Bucks had one timeout. Uh, they they weren't going to make a charge. I mean, it was clear from the first – when I said they're handing it off to Fournette, they're, they're not going to really give Brady a chance here. And then when Kansas City called, you know, the timeouts as they started moving the ball a little bit, you know, which, you know, ended up, you know, the two pass interference penalties – that really, you know, push him down the field to so Antonio Brown catches that touchdown pass. I just thought that that, that coaching decision, yeah. as, as aggressive as you want to be, was the was a bad decision at that time. No, I'm I'm with you completely. I also kept waiting to see if they they try to run the ball a little bit and go a little bit heavy and just throw a different look at Todd Bowles since he was playing so much dime, since he was playing so much um, too deep two at times. Back, three safeties three. back. Yeah. You know, I, they were playing so deep that, you know, you you, you have to run them out of it. I mean, right. that's just basic football knowledge. I mean, you see those safeties back. They're protecting against the deep ball. Uh, they're, they're breaking on everything underneath. Um, you know, when you get those type of shots – uh, you have to you have to run them out of it, and Clyde Edwards-Helaire is more than capable of doing that. And they just never stayed with that part of it. And you know, like I said, like you know, 14-6 game, you give them that chance to make it 21-6. It does change things slightly. Although they came out in the first play and ran it, and they picked up 20-something yards on a draw. It was their best play all day, and they really you know never stayed with it even at 21-6. But at 14-6, you you certainly are in. You have all that ability to run them out. As soon as you see the single high, that's when you check it to you know to, you know, to Tyreek or to McCall, and you take those shots down the field. Yeah, that boggled my mind. You touched on third down, Baldy, and the other problem for them is they they mismanage first and second down so much. This is their third. This is their third downs. Kansas City, third and seven, third and eight, third and eleven, third and four, third and eight, third and six, third and seven. Third yeah. and thirteen, and that's when you get the interception. It's twenty-eight nine. Right. The game's over. Yeah. Uh, that even for Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, living in third and eight is, against a defense that good that's had two weeks to prepare for you that has four guys who can whip the ass of your five up front. That's going to be a problem. Yeah, I, I mean, look, but like I said, I mean, I think there was a bunch. You know, the Travis Kelsey drop on third and eight. I mean, I could point to some of them, but. I thought they were in, in decent, decent shape, to be honest, third and four, third and seven. I mean, I think you're in decent shape with Mahomes, but you, they, they just never really figured out what Tampa was doing. Tampa changed the front a lot. They played a straight three, four defense. They trade a, played a four man front defense. They played a nickel front. Um, they blitzed a, j- just a, a splash of blitzes in there. Um you know, they got Vita Vea matched up on, you know, Austin Ryder one-on-one. I mean, they did some things up front that I think kind of knocked the Chiefs off a little bit. Uh, some some of the things they wanted to do in the run game. Uh, and then, you know, physically, they were just, 
you know, much better. Shaq Barrett, JPP. Yes. Uh, those guys are just much, much better players. They played – those two guys played 130 out of the 150 combined snaps. You know, they played a, a high volume, and they played – now, I mean, I looked at Jason Pierre-Paul, and if you go back and watch him in 2011 with the Giants, you can't tell the difference. I mean, the guy played with just uncommon effort all game long, as did Shaq Barrett. I mean, they played a lot of snaps – and they played really hard. And that speaks to an overall conditioning level mm. that a lot of teams just don't have players they can play at. And so I, I tip my hat to those guys because sometimes you get two weeks off and, you know, you're sort of uh, in that mode where you're enjoying yourself and celebrating and getting ready. And you can let that slip. And those guys clearly didn't let it slip. They chased Mahomes all game long. Yes. I mean, I know there's that next-gen stat out there that he ran for 497 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Well, those guys chased him for the 497 yards too. And I didn't see their tongues dragging on the ground. So credit to them. Uh, I, I thought that Todd Bowles changed things up a lot, subtly, that really knocks, knocked uh, Patrick Mahomes, Eric Bieniemy, and Andy Reid off their game quite a bit. Well, you, you talked about what was going on up front, and that was certainly a big part of the equation. Let's go back a level, though, to the linebackers. When you are getting that kind of push up front and you have a deep enough secondary that, you know, if we're in nickel or dime, even against this great potent offense, you know, if, if people commit to their assignments and those safeties stay back, we're, we're going to be okay. Boy, now that lets, that lets Levante David and, and, and Devin White cover a lot of ground and kind of just be heat-seeking missiles. And when you have linebackers who can run with a Kelsey and bang with a Kelsey um, and, 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 and have such instincts and, and play with such velocity, that's, that's not a bad little recipe right there. Well, they, they, you, what you're, you know, they, they, play, they play fast, okay? The scheme allows them to play fast. So while they did, I thought, a lot of subtle things, they were clearly – I mean, they were not missing assignments, Jason. No. You know, and so – and I you know, I, I thought the Chiefs would play with more tempo and try to eliminate some of that where you can make some errors, be out of position. Uh, I didn't really see much of that. And so I just thought, you know, in a game of, you know, chess, like they, they put them in checkmate a bunch throughout the game. And uh, you just keep coming back. They played three safeties much of the game. Mike Edwards played along with, you know, uh, Whitehead and and Winfield. Uh, Winfield. And so, like, I, I thought that that was, you know, pretty strategic on their part. Uh, and then, you know, they defended nine passes, Jason. Yeah. I mean, in, you know, in Patrick Mahomes' three-plus years of starting, no team had ever defended three passes. And they weren't getting them the interference calls, you know, on them. They, they were playing with their feet and with their eyes the way Todd Bowles instructed them to. And they weren't grabbing those guys and no. putting their hands on them. Um, so which probably leads to, you know, a discussion that, you know, all Chief fans want to have, and that is, you know, the officiating. Because it was very, very yeah. one-sided. Yeah. Especially in the first half where, you know, the Chiefs had eight penalties and, you know, the Bucks had one penalty. At halftime, and you know you can certainly make the case, uh, you know, eight penalties for 95 yards, including the two pass interference penalties, um, one off the interception uh, that Tyron Matthew had, and I thought that was a very ticky tack foul, mm -hmm. really ticky tack. I thought, you know, 
the Chiefs earned that interception. Um, Mike Evans out there can push off just as much as anybody else can grab. And I just thought that's all that was going on right. at the line of scrimmage. I, I just didn't think that was a penalty at that point in time. It it nullified. I thought it was late, and it nullified a really important play by the Chiefs. I'm with you. Um, but when you get beaten all three phases and you lose yeah, the no, turnover I, battle and the yeah. other team is playing in their own stadium and they have the bleeping, bleeping goat at quarterback, you're probably not winning that game. Baldy, we've we've buried the lead here a little bit. You and I love what goes on in the trenches. We love the big uglies and the chess match up front. But a dude did win his seventh Lombardi trophy. He did come out of the game, um, although I think we'd both admit he was there to manage the game and not necessarily have to repeatedly do things to win the game. He made great passes in the red zone. He had a QB rating of 125. Point eight, not too shabby. Three touchdowns, no interceptions. Tom Brady gets his Hollywood Disney ending again. It was it was brilliant, you know, because it wasn't a game where big numbers were gonna make any difference in the type of game that it was. And so he wasn't taking the deep shots down the field that troubled him at some times mm-hmm. during the season. Uh, he he took the checkdowns. He um, repeatedly, I mean, you, you look at, you know, Leonard Fournette with his four catches, you know, you look at, you know, some of the underneath things, even, you know, the short throws to Godwin, he didn't get down the field at all. Um, they had the one big play, uh, you know, to Evans, you know, yes. down the field, uh, you know, and then the one over the middle to Gronkowski. Otherwise everything was short and intermediate and that's Brady's game. Yes. I mean, he was incredibly accurate. He made great decisions. Uh, they, the offensive line was outstanding. Uh, you know, just watching Ryan Jensen, you know, on some delayed blitzes, pick things up and keep the pocket clean. They barely touched him. Um, you know, the only the only sack was a bad snap by Jensen. Right. You know, where Brady just smartly just fell on it. Um, you know, but they still were in field goal range. But, yeah, I mean, he, he played just a clean, clean game. And they, I felt like they were in charge from the Gronkowski touchdown catch off play action. Um, they were in charge from that point on. And it's interesting, that play, the first touchdown to Gronkowski, Jason, they run that play a lot where they drag the tight end across the formation, and he seals the end man on the line of scrimmage. Right. I, and I watched it. They ran it four times during the game. Sometimes they ran it, sometimes they threw it. They threw it later in the game to Cameron Brait. But they really, you know, they, they make it look like it's – the same play, whether it's an inside zone handoff to Jones or Fournette or the throw. And so it was a smart game plan all the way around by Bruce Arians and his staff because they ran it more than they threw it. They had great control of the line of scrimmage. And, um, you know, once they got the lead, they were able to play keep away for long stretches of the time with time-consuming drives. And, and Brady was absolutely content doing all that. The touchdown throw to Antonio Brown and – you know, people tell me that Clyde Christensen said that Antonio Brown ran the wrong route. Well, regardless, he beat Tyra Matthew, and Brady put it in a yep. spot where really it's the only place he can put it. Yep. They keep it away from Matthew, even though it was a great route. And so the, the guy made, you know, and the, and the the second touchdown to Gronkowski, it was the third option on the play. Yeah. I mean, it was to Evans on the left side. Breland shut it off. They bracketed Godwin on the post. 
And his third option was Gronkowski just uncovering. And it was just a classic case of the type of chemistry yes. that those two guys have. Um, and the throw, anybody that wants to think that Brady's, for any number of these past years, Jason, thinks that his arm strength is slipping, whatever, the throw was a zip line. You know, I mean, it it, it didn't it didn't drop. It, it stayed, you know, six, uh, yeah. I don't know, three feet off the off the ground the entire way. I mean, it was a perfect throw. The, our set was in the concourse just above yeah. the lower bowl of that end zone. And that was a strike. The first pass to Antonio Brown where he, he jumped, he left his feet to catch it. That thing had some velocity on it. Yeah. Um, no doubt. And and that you're right. That second touchdown was just Brady knowing which way Gronk was going to break yep. if things broke down. And and they struck. To me, Baldy, this was the culmination of why Brady chose the Bucks. He didn't want to have to be Patrick Mahomes throwing it 50 times, slinging yep. it all over to hope to have a chance to win. He wanted to be able to manage a game because the pieces around him are so strong and the defense is so good that I can just go there and stay within myself and do what I do best. And to me, it was an example of the meeting of the minds where we talked about the Bucks week eight, weeks not week nine, week ten. Hey, this looks like a square peg in a round hole. Well, yeah. guess what? They started running the ball. Nobody's talking about it. They almost ran for 150 yards. They ran 33 times. Yeah. That set up the play action. That set up the underneath stuff and a short pass that goes long. Um, and and Brady got to be 43-year-old Brady. He didn't have to try to be 25-year-old Brady. No. Look, it was, you know, I mean, sometimes you don't, you know, it's like the uh, – the, the denouement of a story. Like you don't really know what the ending is going to be sometimes until almost the ending. But, you know, the, he made the right decision. And, and we questioned that some did some, you know, early on, like Tampa, what do they want? You know, Bruce Aaron's coming back. I mean, all the stuff that people said, you know, they, Jason Light, and this is like probably a pretty good story too, because Jason Light made all the right moves. Yeah. I mean, drafting Tristan Wirfs, I mean, it was the perfect guy in that offense. He played every snap this year. He played at a, you know, at an all-star level uh, throughout the postseason and really the whole season. And that's, you know, that was the a, a real missing link right there when you're trying to protect a 43-year-old Tom Brady. Um, the, the acquisitions that Brady helped create to, to create Brady's bunch from Antonio Brown to Gronkowski to Fournette. Yep. Um, I don't know that he could have done that anywhere else. And those guys would have fit in the way that they did and been as important as they became. I mean, all those guys scoring touch all the all the touchdowns in the game. I mean, it was it was storybook. And you know, I I, I don't know how else to say it except that he wills this stuff to happen. Yeah. He he he, and you hear that, you know, it comes out in little bits and pieces and all this kind of stuff. But the thing that, you know, in all the discussions that are out there right now, Jason, you know, is he the greatest of all time in any sport? I mean, is he right. better than Jordan? Is he Ali? What, you know, I, I don't want to get carried away with history, but to do what he did in this quarantined world where you didn't have off seasons. And yes, he was being thrown out of parks in Tampa for our violations yeah. of, you know, civil code and all that stuff. That was all him. It, it was just him and his ability just to get people like Arians touched on it in the podium, his ability to get people to, to believe 
that they can do this. And there's no question now you look back and go, wow, that's a talented football team, you know. But, you know, you got to take care of the football. You have to believe. You have to learn from your losses. And I think they did, you know, with losing to the Rams and losing uh, to the Saints in back-to-back weeks and or losing to the Chiefs in back-to-back weeks. And, you know, not looking particularly good on offense and doing that. And so he's just – He's just the difference. He's he's just simply the difference. And you can see it the way the players. I remember it was uh, after one of the playoff games, Jason. I forget which one it was right now. Uh, but, you know, I think it was the, the New Orleans Saints game. And, you know, Brady is being interviewed, you know, at, at the field. And everybody's gone in the locker room except Devin White. Devin White's waiting for yeah. him outside the locker room. And here's a kid that is 22 years younger than Tom Brady. 22 years younger than Tom Brady, I think. And he's waiting for him. And the quarterback of the defense is meeting the quarterback of the offense to go in and celebrate this, you know, this win against the Saints together. And you can just tell, like, the, the command that he has amongst everybody in that whole football team. One other guy that I, I, I wanted to – to talk to you about because I I've been really hard on this this guy at different points in his career and I think sometimes we do lose sight of how young some of these guys are yeah but Leonard Fournette was staring his football mortality down (laughs) when nobody claimed him on waivers and Tom Brady says I think this guy can help us and it's bumpy for a while and not sure how he fits in and then there's an injury and they need him down the stretch, and he starts becoming a little bit more of a bell cow, and he starts showing up more and more in the passing game, and we know Brady likes throwing to to running backs. You can go, you know, take it all the way back to, to when he broke in and, you know, Kevin Falk. And this guy, somewhat quietly, ends up with another 135 scrimmage yards in this mm-hmm. game. He catches yep. all four of his targets for 46 yep. yards. He has a 27-yard touchdown gallop that pretty much puts the game away. He averages over 5-6 a carry for the day, uh, plays physical. I think he had another touchdown in him if they gave him the ball um, at the goal line instead of Jones. Pretty, pretty, you know, Pretty significant redemption well, story there too. Bob. It is. It is. It really is. You're, and you're spot on in everything you're saying. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I I was good friends with. I am good friends with Doug Marone. So you know that locker room was a mess in yes. in Jacksonville. A lot of people wanted out for a lot of different reasons. But you know, Leonard Fournette. I mean, he, he had a monster season two years ago or three years ago when they went to the AFC Championship game. And from that point on, you know. People talked about his weight, his attitude. I mean, nothing good about no. it. And it's something, there, there's just something to be said about when Brady gets a hold of you or you're in the presence of him. Whatever attitudes you might have carried around with you before, they just go away. It just becomes about the game and maximizing your talent. I mean, I don't know that Antonio Brown sent out a tweet since he went to right. Tampa. I mean, he was he was like the Twitter devil. You know, for you know, he, he couldn't he couldn't do anything right in the Twitter sphere, uh, and I don't know that he sent out a, tw- a tweet. Leonard Fournette did nothing but smile and just pound people, the way that you know he did back at LSU and that he did for one year in Jacksonville. And you know, is that the Brady effect? Is that Bruce Arians who has also a very good effect on players? Yes. Um, you know, because Bruce, um, you know, whether it's between the diversity of his staff or turning it over to his staff to make these decisions 
and him just sort of guiding it. Um, the loyalty of his staff and how they kind of look at Bruce, you know, from, you know, from Todd Bowles to Kevin Ross to, you know, you, you name a, a Clyde Christensen going back to his temple days on North Broad Street. Um, but whatever, whatever it is, like they, that team comes together and it is not about any egos or stats or anything. And when Fournette got his chance, when Ronald Jones had the thigh pull and all that, I mean, he, he really stepped up and just got stronger and stronger. Cause I thought there was a time in the middle of the season, Jason, where I was like, man, he looked like he was done. Yeah. He, he just didn't look like he could make anybody miss. And he didn't look like he was running hard and he was going down too easy. And you wouldn't say any of that in any of this postseason run in any game that he played. In. Well, Baldy, um, before we put a, a bow on the Super Bowl, I, I guess we should look ahead a little bit for yeah. these two teams in particular. I tend to think the Bucks, these AB, Gronk, all the whole gang's gonna wants to come back. They'll find a way to bring them back. Shaq Barrett is obviously a key free agent for them, and we'll see if they can um find a way to keep him or, or maybe they have to draft um an edge rusher but i don't think brady's going anywhere they're going to have a more normal offseason and a more normal training camp in all likelihood and i think they work through their kinks they had their training camp all the way through into december and i think they've turned a corner i, I think the bucks are going to be a problem and the chiefs you know sammy Watkins will be gone so what i mean that you know yeah they drafted his replacement a couple years ago in Hardman anyway. Uh, they're not, they don't have a great cap situation, uh, but they also don't have to purge a whole bunch of guys because Mahomes is on a team-friendly contract, especially in the first three years. They kept Chris Jones long-term last year instead of just franchising him when they would have lost him this year. They'll well, redo look, Tyron I, Matthews' I think contract, I suspect. But, but both these teams, a, a to me, strong chance of poised to be back. a problem in 2021. Uh, you know, when you look at the way Tampa Bay is constructed, I don't know that there's another team in the league that is as solid from the linebacker position to the secondary as Tampa Bay is. And they're all homegrown. They've drafted every one of those players. I mean, it's a credit um, to Jason Light and his staff. I mean, every one of those guys. And I remember when they were getting torched two years ago, Jamel yeah. Dean, Sean Murphy, Bunting. I mean, that is a excellent secondary and linebacking core. Now, you know, Vita Vea is a stud. I mean, yes. nobody can block him one-on-one. Shaq -on -one. Uh, Barrett, I give that guy an unbelievable amount of credit. That guy learned from Von Miller. He, you know, he went down to see Chuck Smith in Atlanta yeah. and worked with his pass rush. And he's a force. He's just a flat-out force. Um, I would think that that would be a high priority. Uh, look, there's – I mean, anything that – any rookie that cracks that lineup next year through the draft or free agency, I mean, they're going to be one hell of a football player because I don't see a lot of weaknesses. Uh, anywhere in that lineup right now. And so, the, you know, it's, we know how difficult it is to repeat and all that kind of stuff. But I think with Brady there, I mean, it's, he, I mean, he was talking about it before the game. Yeah. And I, he's coming back. And when the game ends, we're going to start working on 2021. So I don't know how much time Tom Brady needs with his family, a little trip to Costa Rica, um, a little beach time. And he's probably going to start throwing footballs mm -hmm. as soon as it turns to March 1st. So, I mean, I expect, I expect them to to be um, at the very top of the leaderboard, you know, to go into next year. I expect to see him, you know, playing in January next year as well. Yeah, he'll be wearing out Tom House and Alex Guerrero uh, and everybody else on on his training. And he faced him pretty well. 
he pays yeah. him pretty well. So yeah. if, I, I think they're, they're his only client. So I think they, they can, you know, respond to whatever needs he oh, has. Yeah. Yeah, they, they can. And you know how acutely aware he is of history and his place in history. And he came into the league, you know, with, with a scenario where he won three and four years, including back to backs. You know, he'd want to bookend it and do that in two different places. Forget about it. Like, forget yeah. about it. Forget about it. Forget about it. Um, He's not the only quarterback that uh, we will continue to talk about. Oh, the carousel about. is moving here, Jason. The quarterback carousel is oh, moving. Yeah. moving. It is. It is. Um, we'll start with, with one that let we me, all – Before you start, hold on yeah, a second. Before yeah. you start, Jason, I think – and I, I've mentioned this before, and it's just me just spitting here, but I think when teams watch Brady go to Tampa in this restricted world that we're all in and do what he did, I think now people think if whether it's Matt Stafford or Carson Wentz or, you know, uh, Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or Matt Ryan, whoever may be on the move, if they're in the right system, I think people feel like they can do it now. It's not a year from now that they can do it now. And I think Brady showed the league that if you put the right team together in the right pieces, you can have success right now. And I think it's it's really and starting with the trade already with Stafford to the Rams. Like I think that's how Sean McVay's thinking. Yes, and I think that's how other teams are thinking right now. Well, and I can tell you, Baldy, to expound on that, it cuts both ways to the to the coaches and the management. They see it too and say, "Oh, right, all right, that can happen." You know who else is watching really, really closely? Aaron Rodgers and yeah. oh, yeah. Russell yeah. Wilson yeah. and these guys who are approaching their mid thirties or a little on the other side of their mid-30s, and saying, no, I don't, I don't want to hear about we're two drafts away, or I don't want to hear about, well, we got to address this before we address the offensive line and before we do that, and I don't want to hear about do more with less. Um, and I, I know some people – Jason, I read your article this week on Russell Wilson, and it's uh-huh. it's, it's fascinating. It's He wants input. Um I thought two years ago when they re- re-upped him and gave him the fat contract, I thought that there was a little hesitation. There was. Tom Schneider about giving him the contract, knowing how much it was going to curtail their ability to build a team the way they'd really like to build it. And, and you know, obviously they gave him the contract and been in the playoffs two years in a row, et cetera, et cetera. But if I'm Russell Wilson and I'm saying, okay, Schottenheimer's gone. I got this kid in here now. Um, the offensive line isn't Tampa's offensive line. I mean, I'm looking around going, man, if I went with Sean Payton yep. to the New Orleans Saints with in that offensive line with Kamara and his and that coach, why can't I go take over Tom Brady and take us? I mean, if it's about Super Bowls, and that's what it's about for, yes. the, for those guys. It is all Super Bowls. Super Bowls are bust at this point. Pro Bowls, all-star teams. Playoffs, they don't, they don't do it for those guys. It's about winning Super Bowls. And both teams, in my mind, and I know you agree, Jason, have shortchanged the quarterback yes, big yes. time. And so those guys have to be looking at this going, man, you put me in the right situation. I'll do exactly what Brady did. That's how they're wired. I know a lot of people close to Russell Wilson. Um who have never steered me wrong on where his head is at. And I understand 
his head being there. And and when the season goes awry and you're not the same offense down the stretch and the head coach, you know, Pete, I know Pete. Pete is a defensive minded head coach. He's run like, the ball, run the ball, run the ball. All, yes. All thing being equal. I'm going to do more for my defense and you just run the ball and don't bleep it up. Well, this is 10 years of that now. And you hire an offensive coordinator without a huge pedigree, without a huge resume. He's going to be under the thumb of the head coach. Like this isn't rocket science. And if you're Russell Wilson and you're kind of sick of being sacked 40 times a year and, and you know, oh, well, he, he never misses a practice. He never misses a snap. He'll be fine. Well, you don't bounce back the same at 33 as you did at 23. I get where he's coming from. And we've also seen Baldy. How many mega trades have we seen in the last two years where teams are throwing draft picks around in ways that were unfathomable 10 years ago? Amari Cooper, Khalil Mack, Jalen Ramsey, Laramie Tunsil, yeah. even this, this Stafford Goff thing. Like, people are going to keep calling John Schneider. And at some point, even though I don't think they know right now what the, it would take to get Russell Wilson, I don't think he and Pete are thinking in those terms. At some point, maybe it's John Gruden. Maybe it's Sean Payton. Um, you know, may, maybe it's... Well, those two, I mean, I think those two... Yeah. Th- those two are at the top of the list. If you're looking to plug in a plug-and-play Hall of Fame quarterback uh, right now to get your team, um, you know, get, get some inertia and get moving in the right direction. And the sooner you can do this deal, I mean, any of these deals have to be done before the draft. Um, but really before, almost before free agency, where you can really start building your team around one of these players. Yeah. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm also not, not saying it, it, it ain't going to happen. And somebody may make the Seahawks an offer they can't refuse. And, and again, from the people I know who know Russ pretty well, um, I, I think that situation in Las Vegas, remember too, like, when you're married to Sierra, like you're not living in Indianapolis. You know what I mean? You're not living yeah. in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Like that's right. not going right. to fly with the missus. Right. Vegas, and maybe she's at a casino doing a residency, and it's a three-hour drive from their place in Southern California and 30 seconds on a private plane. That'll fly. Um, yeah. You know, New Orleans with Sean Payton, that, that'll fly. Um, I'll tell you another one I'd keep an eye on is – Yes. If this thing gets sideways in Dallas again with Dak, yeah, I think having that star on his helmet and playing in the town where his wife grew up in, not too far from, I think that might, would would probably resonate pretty strongly as well. So yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see if if something like that um, could come together. And then obviously this Carson Wentz thing has been going on. We've been talking about the. You know, the 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 de-evolution of that relationship there in Philadelphia since he lost his job to Jalen Hurts. A lot of the reporting has been very breathless and very, oh, it's, <laughs> it's so close. Now it's even closer than it was yesterday. Oh, it's really, really close. I had people, I had people in my house, Jason, on Super Bowl Sunday telling me that the deal was done and the amount of compensation that was thrown the Eagles' way I said, there's nobody that would be fleeced that bad. Nobody. And so I was just like, until somebody yeah. sends this like confirmation on my phone, I'm not believing what anybody in my room is telling me. Yeah. And it turns out that there's a lot of negotiating going on through the media and a lot of people being used right now. 
And that's not to say there won't be a trade because I th- I think there's going to have to be a trade because there's been a lot of br- bridges blown up. And I think we saw well, a desperate. Back up one second, Jess, because I can't really put my arms around this thing. And I live here. But if the divorce between Doug Peterson and Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman was in large part because of how poorly Carson Wentz played, and that certainly was part of the breakup. And then you go out and you go find yourself Nick Sirianni, you know, and Shane Steichen and the guys that's coming to Philadelphia. Is it part of bringing those guys in to help kind of rebuild and remake Carson Wentz? Like, isn't wasn't that part of the discussion? And now you're just going to let him keep calling the shots that this thing is so broken. I don't want any part of this. Like, I don't I can't wrap my hands around the coaching change and then still the, you know, the, the, the seemingly like dead set to depart with Carson Wentz. I, I, I can't wrap my hands around it. Well, I, I think his relationship is pretty severed with some key players there from what I hear. The yeah. stunt he pulled, whatever you think of Doug Peterson, you know, not showing up to the building the day for your exit interview. Not, not, not very professional grade. You know, just show up and tell him you think he's an a hole. Whatever, but yeah. that that stunt didn't go over well. The games that were being played in the media down the stretch didn't go over well. Um, and I, and he doesn't seem like he wants to compete with Jalen Hurts, right? He he's he he doesn't that's he doesn't seem to be interested in that at all. And not that he's in a position to call the shots, but I, I get the sense that within that organization, the reclamation project the juice might not be worth the squeeze. And if let's if somebody else wants to pay him $26 million a year and we don't have to, all the better. Um, although they may have to eat that roster bonus up front at first to facilitate the trade. Um, but look, we just saw a desperate trade, mate. Like that 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 golf for Stafford thing, There's an, when you're throwing that many picks around and that much dead money, and that, yeah. that there's an air of desperation there. I think Chris Ballard, it's a little bit desperate. Like he couldn't get Stafford. That owner and and that owner can be a handful of times. I know Jimmy. Oh, know you know Jimmy. that that yeah. owner seems to think he's got a Super Bowl team right now. That's just a quarterback away, and they may. But that quarterback, Baldy, ain't coming in the draft. It's not the kid from North Dakota State. Like no. it's not set up for that. And yeah. you could wait on Aaron Rodgers and see if something happens there. But he's probably not coming to Indianapolis. Houston, even if they trade Deshaun Watson, they're not trading him to any. They're not trading him in the division. Like, right. you know, Jameis Winston. I mean, like, eh, no. Yeah. So I yeah, do. Think- I mean, I, you know what? I mean, anybody that would watch any game from Carson Wentz this year is saying, "I'm not giving you my number one pick." No, I'm not giving you no, I don't exactly. But at the and, right, and, point, and I know that Howie Roseman is gonna is gonna demand at least a number one pick, and probably more, and maybe a player. So, but you're right. It's a negotiation right now. And so uh, this thing is going to be going on. I can't see, I mean, I can see obviously Chicago. Um, You know, there's obviously a lot of reasons why Chicago would be interested. Um, But, and you know, they've got, you know, John DeFilippo has helped work with Carson Wentz before. He probably believes at some point he could, although it was, it wasn't easy that he could remold them and rebuild them and tell them all the things that he's inadequate at. Uh, there could be some of that, but I mean, if you get Carson Wentz circa 2019, 2020, I mean, I don't see how he elevates your football team right now. Yeah. I mean, you have to really trust the, 
determination that your head coach, or in this case, your passing game coordinator with DeFilippo, um, that that they're confident that this juice will be worth the squeeze. Uh, I, I just think one of those teams probably pulls the trigger. It ain't going to be for two ones. It probably isn't even for a one. But I, 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 I think there's a little, as much as the Eagles are kind of desperate to get out of this thing, the Colts are desperate to upgrade a quarterback, and the Bears they know their jobs are in balance, in the balance if they don't get it right finally eventually at the quarterback position. So I, I do think Wentz gets moved, but I'm with you, Baldy. I, I don't, I don't like where he's at mentally or physically right now, and I don't know that a change of scenery is is going to be um, enough. Uh, and and one other um, uh, situation we, we, we definitely want to uh, to comment on, but before we wrap this up, um, Marty Schottenheimer passed away at age 77. Uh, Marty Schottenheimer is as beloved a, a coaching figure in this league as there was during his time in the league. Uh, a tremendous person, a galvanizing figure, uh, a, a guy who had a tremendous coaching career that I don't think was ever really truly appreciated in its time, or even now because of some playoff failures, uh, Baldy, it took some ridiculous stuff for him to lose some of those playoff games, the way he did the drive, the fumble, you know, his defense, picking a ball off and somehow fumbling it. Um, you know, he lost to John Elway. He lost to Tom Brady like that. A lot of people had that happen to them to have 200 wins. Um, I'm not a math major, but that's like winning 10 games 20 times. Uh, that's, know, pretty, that's pretty good. You know, he. Uh, my brother played for Marty uh, in Kansas City, and um, I saw LaDainian Tomlinson put something out when he played with them with the Chargers. No, no team, no player ever felt like they were more prepared to play any game than a team coached by Marty Schottenheimer. That guy knew every position, special teams. I've been around Marty a lot, um, knew him quite well. I worked with him at the Senior Bowl one year. That guy knew every phase of football, and he knew how to teach it. He was a great man. He was a great teacher. And I'll tell you what, you know, he he did that one-year stint. I know you remember this, Jason, in Washington. Oh, yeah. And they went 8-8. Eight and eight, Yeah. And they blew him out for Steve Spurrier. Yeah. But – at the end of that year, they got off to a bad start. 0-5. But they came down the stretch, and that looked like them. Stephen, uh, was it Stephen Davis, the, yes. the running back? Yes. They, they came down the stretch with a Marty Schottenheimer type of approach. I mean, they pounded you in the run game. They played – they were a team that was on the rise. And then Daniel Snyder chased Steve Spurrier around a restaurant and said, this is – we're going to make the move. And I always thought – Jason, that if the, the I'm sorry, the Washington football team yeah. just stayed with Marty, yes, they would have been in the best shape they have ever been in since Daniel Snyder took over that team. They they absolutely were. They started 0 and five. He yep. finally got the owner's guy Jeff George out of there. He went yeah. to the Tony Banks. They finished the second half of the season playing Marty ball and doing yeah. it incredibly well. He got guys like LeVar Arrington on board. He eventually broke them down and got them to buy in. It wasn't any fun for the owner, though, because the owner couldn't tinker. The owner couldn't tell Marty what to do when he wanted him to do it. Um, and so he decided, 
I want to bring my personnel guys back. I don't want Marty to have that much control. I'm bringing Serato back. I want to get a coach who's more fun. I want to do it my way with my guys. And the organization's never recovered. Nope. It's a shame because Marty could do that to an organization. He could put you on Kansas City, the Chargers, uh, Cleveland, uh, you know, Washington. He could put your team in a competitive mode with a tough, hard-nosed, well-coached football team year in, year out. I mean, he just did it in so many places. And you know how to do it. I mean, he was a fantastic coach. He was a, a – and I know these people out there that want to just belittle him for playoff, you know, yeah. uh, losses or whatever. I'm just telling you, that guy was a great football coach. Deserves to be honored. And uh, it's a real, real loss to the NFL. No, it is, and quite a quite a coaching uh, family tree as well. That includes Bill Cowher, who just got into the Hall of Fame a year ago, and Bruce Arians, who just won a Super Bowl. So yeah, Marty's uh, indelible imprint will carry on in this game. We we wish him and his family, um, you know, as much peace and solace as they can find. That you know, Marty's in a better place now, um, yeah. and he fought a long fight with Alzheimer's for um, for a long time. So we wish them all the best and uh baldy you and i i I think we'll probably be back in a couple of weeks i'm guessing to maybe start reviewing the offseason a little bit more this this offseason is already you know i know this offseason started before the season ended so there's going to be news breaking there's going to be trades made i think we're going to see you know i mean all kinds of things done that uh are going to be worth our voices on this podcast. So we will pick things up in a few short weeks here, Jason, and look forward to continue the conversations. Absolutely. Uh, Can't wait. There will be no shortage of things to talk about. Hope you get a little breather here as well. This has been the Super Bowl wrap-up edition of Baldy's Breakdowns. Um, Let us know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter at Jason Lockenfora, at Baldy NFL. We will continue to uh, give you guys our takes and opinions on all things NFL as we roll through the offseason and get into OTAs and the draft and all that good stuff. You can rate, review, um, let us know what you think on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. And we will chat with you guys again in a few weeks. Hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl and talk to you soon.